Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. 2022 was filled with several market disruptors. Russia invaded Ukraine. The Federal Reserve hiked interest rates for the first time since 2018, and inflation hit decade highs. These factors led to a macro-driven environment, as investors focused heavily on where central banks were heading next. Today's guests say 2023 has already shown signs of a momentum shift, and they are optimistic that a stock-picking environment could soon be back on the table. Joining us today to break down where they are seeing long-term leaders and how long-term leaders have changed over the last year are Fidelity's Managing Director of Research and Portfolio Manager Charlie Hubbard and Quantitative Analyst and Portfolio Manager Michael Kim. Charlie and Mike speak with host Pamela Ritchie and reiterate the types of companies that can be found in Fidelity Long-Term Leaders Fund. They are looking for franchise stocks to hold for a three to five year investment horizon, not swapping in and out every quarter. Charlie notes that earnings is going to drive a stock and they want to find names that have the potential to outperform their peer group. Mike also notes the advantages in being diversified, noting that the fund does have a large and mid cap bias, but small caps are attractive, especially when coming out of a recession. Is one coming? Charlie and Mike also look at this and more today. Today's podcast was recorded on February 28th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. You're both portfolio managers. It's actually more than the two of you on the Fidelity Long-Term Leaders Fund. So actually, Charlie, I'll begin and ask you to just kind of remind us, almost re-educate us a little bit on, on what the fund strategy is, the structure itself, if you could just open us up there. Sure, uh, Pamela. So the, the Long-Term Leaders Fund is a global growth fund that really leverages Fidelity's unparalleled uh, research presence around the world to identify companies that we really feel have great potential over the next three to five years. And these are companies where our analysts feel strongly that there's a durable competitive advantage, which we think can lead to above peer uh, earnings growth and return characteristics. Um, and you know, we have a team management structure because we really rely on the um, global uh, research directors um, who are engaging with the analysts uh, every day. And you know, so they're, that's why they're all named uh, as portfolio managers. And then we apply a systematic uh, portfolio construction process. So it's really interesting, Mike, we introduced you as, as from the quantitative perspective. How, how ultimately do you bring to bear various aspects that kind of keep the whole strategy, in fact, on track? Sure. So, you know, we really let the um, the fundamental analysts handle the stock picking, right? Um, we basically ask them to go out and find companies that we believe are, you know, what you would think of as franchise stocks, stocks that you want to hold for the long haul. Uh, stocks that have, you know, as Charlie mentioned, a sustainable competitive advantage that, you know, could could really hold them through an economic cycle, for instance. 
this means that we're we're what we're really doing is asking uh, the analysts to find stocks that we believe, you know, you want to hold for a longer investment horizon. We're not looking for the you know the the hottest stock for the next quarter or even the next year. We're looking for, like I said, franchise stocks that you want to hold for the next three, five, seven years. Um, so with that, because we have, you know, a, a team of over 100 analysts uh, finding these stocks for us, you need some way of putting these all together into a portfolio. Uh, that's really where uh, where I come into play. Um, my job is to take all of these names, um, put them together in a package uh, that is diversified and, you know, somewhat risk managed and disciplined in its approach in terms of uh, portfolio process and building. Um, you know, one of the things, for instance, in our process, um, we are uh, we are neutral vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the major investment regions, so UK, North America, uh, emerging markets, and international. Uh, we're neutralized those exposures uh, compared to say the the, the MISCI all all country world index or something. So so we're really trying to stay you know kind of focused on the global uh, aspect and disciplined in how we approach things. Charlie, it's we mentioned a bit off the top, you know, the summary of of kind of last year, even the early part of this year. Uh, everyone's been watching the markets; they pretty much know the story. The question is, it's a bit of sort of where do we go from here? In fact, after all of these rate hikes, um, who knows if there's a few more to go? Nobody really knows, it seems. But is there more clarity from your perspective? Well, I think there is, Pamela, and I think one thing we can all agree on is that uh, you know the Fed is now closer uh, to the end of this current rate hiking uh, cycle uh, today than it was say a year ago and you know look the there's been pretty significant stock market volatility as a result of shifting uh, inflationary expectations but having said that you know we really feel that it is a great environment uh, for stock picking and uh, you know we are we are focused on you know, as as we said at the outset, you know, identifying these companies that we really feel have um, you know durable competitive advantages, and those are the types of names that are um, you know included in the fund. Um, and would you say, Mike, is there, you know, in terms of the stock selection, which you said you sort of leave to to the analysts and so on? I mean, give us a sense of sort of some of the technicals. I mean, really a look at the momentum, some of the factors that come to play that you're watching. Like, what can you share with investors here? Yeah, well, I'd say from uh, from a fundamental standpoint, what we what we're really um, asking our our, our investor um, our analysts to look for our company. We have, we have three lenses, right? Like, it's it's not just about and Charlie touched on these. It's not just about the competitive advantages. It's about having quality of management. Um, you know, does management have a track record of accomplishing what they set out to do? Are they honest? Uh, do they have smart capital allocation policies? And then, um, you know, another lens that we ask them is, you know, is, is there a secular growth trend here that we can take advantage of? So it's like I said, it's not just looking for things that may be swinging hot in the next quarter or year, but is there something here? And so, you know, we tend to be a little bit overweight in, for instance, consumer stocks uh, and technology stocks, because that's where you're finding a lot of these kind of secular growth trends, right? Um, so that's how we think about stocks, or, or we ask the analysts to think about stocks from a fundamental perspective. Uh, from a quantitative perspective, you know, we're always thinking about, 
you know, uh, as I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the big thing for a global fund is where your country region risk is coming from, right? And so that, that's why we neutralize for that. Um, you know, we had quite a bit of volatility last year with, uh, you know, with China going into another wave and then are they emerging from that wave? And, um, you know, those Chinese stocks really ripped hard in Q4 of last year. Uh, so that's why we try and uh, stay neutral in those things, because you just don't know when those things are going to happen um, and how they're going to turn out. Sometimes good news is good news. Sometimes good mm-hmm. news is bad news and, and and so forth. Right. So so that's really what we're thinking about from a, from a risk perspective. That's so interesting. Um, Charlie, how much of the it's not the game so much, but how much is really the story about earnings at this point? Yeah, look, ultimately, um, earnings is what matters. Earnings is going to be what's going to drive a stock. And, you know, there can be momentary disconnects, uh, you know, be- be- between a company's underlying fundamental you know, performance and-, and the action of its share price. But over the long term, stocks follow earnings. And that's what our analysts are focused on, you know, identifying those companies that we feel you know, have the potential to, to grow at a rate uh, above that of its peer group. So, I mean, take us back a little bit to sort of the the action of individual companies becomes perhaps, as you're mentioning, more clear. Mike was talking about obviously management, the, the divergence within even within the sectors themselves of of companies that are pulling ahead. It is no longer a, a low rates environment where money is close to free. Um, where do you see divergences? Where do you see companies either pulling ahead or lagging behind? Give us a little bit of a sense of what you're watching. I think we came through, um, you know, a period over the last couple of years post-COVID where there was so much liquidity pumped into the system um, that, you know, to your point, Pamela, money was in many instances free. And so that um, led, uh, you know, some some management teams to focus on growth uh, above all else. And when I say growth, it wasn't necessarily a focus on profitable growth. It was just a, a, a focus on you know, growing our revenues as quickly as, as possible. And you know, as a result, you had um, you know, many companies that were unprofitable uh, you know, being uh, really rewarded uh, in the market. And you know, now uh, you know, we're in quite a different environment and you know, investors need to see um, either profitability today or a very clearly defined path to future profitability. And I think one of the great things about this product and this fund is that, you know, we're focused on companies that are already generating earnings and cash flows today, because these are already companies that have established themselves as leaders in their respective markets. And, you know, so we feel really good about the overall quality of the portfolio. And, you know, I, I keep coming back to the, um, the, you know, the, the growth visibility that the, uh, the, that the names, uh, you know, in, in the fund possess. Right. And Mike, maybe you could just add to that with sort of the disconnect piece and, you know, what you are able to see ultimately on some of the disconnects. Maybe there's opportunity there. Yeah, well, I, th- I think Charlie hit it uh, on the head that, you know, really in this environment, especially last year, quality, quality as, as quants call it, um, really outperforms the quality. We're talking about companies that have, you know, high RO- ROEs and return on investments. Um, you know, these are companies that already er- have steady earnings. And, you know, I think with a lot of people anticipating uh a recession or an economic slowdown at the very least, um, it, you know, is really important to, to tilt towards those kind of companies that are already, 
you know, have a steady earnings uh, stream, right? Uh, and we saw that in kind of the factor returns last year. The companies that that did the best were things like income producing companies, dividend payers, uh, companies again with like uh, with high ROEs and and steady earnings, that sort of thing. Uh, we saw a reversal of that, you know, this January. And so, uh, you know, it's it's really a it's really a back and forth. Uh, it's a tug of war right now. I think we all kind of feel that. Uh, you know, hopefully, as, as we were saying before, the, uh, the the tightening curve is at least coming to uh, to that to the latter half of its cycle. So, uh, so from this point on, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, like I said, it, it's really hard to anticipate sometimes with these macro risks. What um, you know, what's gonna what what the market reaction is gonna be to any any given data point. We've seen a lot of volatility in the market so far this year. Sometimes. You know, so sometimes the CPI so far this week, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, right. So sometimes the CPI comes in hot and the market reacts poorly as we anticipate. Sometimes if something else comes in a little bit hot and yet market looks past that. So it's really hard to, you know, we don't try and uh, guess where, where that's going uh, from a macro perspective. Just, you know, it, like I said, it really comes down to the companies themselves. And, you know, uh, one thing that Charlie mentioned is, you know, for the companies that that were kind of growth at all measures, uh, you know, some of these companies are going to be struggling, right? Getting the funding, getting the capital going forward, the growth outlook, the the future value of that growth, you know, is diminished as as rates increase. Uh, this is all kind of natural and expected. Uh, one thing it does do is potentially give an opportunity for 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 the M and A market to come back. Um, you know, some of these companies have great ideas. They just, you know, and and they have those things that we talked about in terms of secular tailwinds and uh, growth opportunities. But, you know, maybe those are the type of companies that and, you know, I, I don't want to make any calls here. Right. But, you know, we, we see that already with with bigger companies such as the Microsofts of the world making uh, investments and making acquisitions uh, to get into different uh, spaces because there's an opportunity there, uh, you know, for for them to do so. So we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, but that that's one thing I'm keeping my eye on. Charlie, somewhat related to that, just the ability of of bigger companies, the types of companies that you you sort of described as long term leaders, I think, within them buying up what they need to kind of either disrupt themselves or you know be part of the so called disruption. Can you can you just speak to that a little bit? Sure. You know, I can give you an example. Um, you know, when you think about Microsoft, you know, Microsoft has had a very dominant uh, market position for a, a number a number of years. And, you know, they, they recently completed a, a large acquisition a company called Nuance, uh, Nuance Communications, which allows them to apply uh, AI and voice recognition. Uh, they have a pretty exciting product whereby you could go see your doctor and, you know, the doctor can have a very natural conversation with the patient. And at the same time, um, you know, this nuanced product is, is taping, taping the interaction. And then, you know, as a result of, um, of, of voice, you know, voice recognition, uh, the, the physician at the end of the uh, appointment is, is presented with a, a curated transcript. Um, and so what it does is it, it not only lowers cost, 
um, by you know re reducing some of the pain points that physicians you know feel with respect to all the paperwork they need to complete, but it also prevents a much more natural interaction between the the the, the physician and his or her patient. And so you know that's an example of uh, an acquisition that I think really did help extend. Uh, Microsoft's overall competitive position because it can be uh, linked in with uh, the, the the rest of its product offering. Can they take care of the the doctor's bad handwriting too? You don't have to. <laughs> well, I, you know, look, that. I think I, I think that's a, that's a great point, right? Because it, it is an ongoing uh, you know transcript, and the doctor ultimately just has to review it at the end. But you're going to have less um, you know the potential. Uh, you know, for say handwriting to be uh, misinterpreted or you know, Ill, you know, if it's illegible, uh, you know, there could be a medical mistake as a result of that, which could lead to a malpractice claim or a poor patient outcome, all kinds of things. So, you know, that's just an example of you know a company uh, leveraging technology to um, you know to enhance its overall market position. And Mike, take us back to the the sort of ability to risk adjust. I mean, I think everyone is still to an extent braced for market activity and it's hard to know where it all goes. You know, just remind us sort of the ability to make sure you can make this adjustment when needed. Yeah, you know, for our portfolio, um, you know, it's interesting. There, there are a number of different methods that you can take from a quantitative perspective in terms of uh, risk adjusting your portfolio. Some people use uh, optimization algorithms. Uh, you know, there, there's quite a different number of risk models out there that people use. Uh, one, one really straightforward way of, um, that we think of it, um, is we, we use what we call like an equal active, um, process. And so really what it comes down to is, uh, because we have such a long investment horizon, uh, and, you know, most of the risk models are tuned to kind of, kind of like a one year investment horizon, uh, because we're really thinking about these things three, five, seven years out. Uh, we, you know, the way that, that we talk about it, uh, we love all of our companies equally. We love all of our children equally. And so, so we try and have, you know, what we call an equal bet on, on all of the names across the portfolio. Uh, we do make, as, as I, as I noted, we make some adjustment for, for, for some of the international regions, uh, to make sure that we're not over or underexposed to it. But that's, that's the basic gist of it. Everything else is just about process discipline. Right. And so when sometimes you have stocks that do really well uh, in the short term, uh, you know, because we have essentially portfolio weight targets for everything, um, you know, it really just comes down to having the discipline to, to stick to those targets. When things run a little hot, we reallocate the capital to, to names that may be uh, temporarily underperforming uh, and vice versa. Right. So. So that that really gives us uh, kind of confidence in the the portfolio as a whole uh, that it's uh, that it's doing what we want it to do that what our intentions are and um, that it's going to perform the way that we hope. Okay, Charlie, when you how how do things like maybe not commodities themselves but commodity producers on some level when you're looking three to five years out? I mean, do, do you have to know what? the prices of commodities are actually going to be to be looking at some of these companies or is that a good reason to do what's what are your thoughts well look i uh, it's a great question pamela and and no one can see um you know the future with a high degree of of, of certainty and of course the further you extend out your, your forecast horizon 
you know, the more cloudy things become. I mean, when it when we think about commodities, I and mean, typically we have a, a supply and demand framework, uh, you know, for thinking about a, a range of most likely um, outcomes. But I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, you heard Michael say earlier, uh, you know, that the fund tends to be more overweight in consumer or technology um, oriented companies. And it's really for that reason. Um, you know, typically there are more things within the scope of what the companies, those types of companies can control um, than, you know, for a, uh, for a commodity producer, which is why you don't tend to see uh, those types of, of companies in a fund such as this. Okay, really interesting. Um, what about things like, you know, again, looking further out real estate and, and the whole story of that right now is is adjusting like lots of companies to to higher interest rates. But again, if you look further out, I mean, do home builders look interesting? Is are there sectors within that overall real estate story that that are appealing? Or again, is it very? Yeah. So I I think what you'll what you'll see is right. The, we always talk about the stock market as being a discounting mechanism, and so what that really means is that um, you know stocks tend to move in anticipation of uh, you know, future actions. And so, for example, you mentioned the home builders. What we saw with the home builders is that they sold off pretty um, aggressively um, as the Fed started to, um, to increase rates. And the stocks had already pulled back very, very significantly, even before we saw any sort of signs in a, in a slowdown in uh, you know, residential um, uh, purchase volume or, or, even, or even pricing. And you know now, fast forward to the last couple of months, home builders, um, you know, had had actually performed quite well, principally because now, you know, again as a discounting mechanism, they're looking more forward and seeing, you know, the future end to uh, to the to the the, the Fed rate tight, tightening cycle, um, and you know, the real estate market is still held up, you know, relatively well. Mike, again about sort of the the timing question for for investors, it'd be you know, it's everyone's trying to figure out it's the right time for what exactly, right? I mean, there's there's always that question. But I, I suppose if you've got companies that are earning, um, is it always a good time <laughs> for companies that are well-managed and earning? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think the traditional way of thinking about things is, you know, kind of value versus growth, right? And we have a really interesting dynamic here. Uh, you know, some of the indices that I'm watching, uh, at least here in the U.S., uh, you know, growth is is handily be beating value this year. Uh, but some of the some of the indices, uh, the S and P growth value indices, for instance, uh, they have a slightly different methodology. Uh, they're basically even for the year, um, and so it's not always the case where you know. Obviously, last year we had a big value year, um, and that was the first time I think some of my value investing friends were very relieved because it's the first time we had a strong value market. A long time, right? So um, I, I tend to work on the growth side of things. So it was a, it was painful for me. But I mean, all you can do is kind of have an allocation to both. It, it's really important to stay disciplined in your allocation, whether it's you know geographically, uh, whether it's style, uh, you know, value versus growth versus core, or you know, uh, in terms of market cap. You know, we tend to be um, have we, we tend to have a large and mid cap bias. Uh, but, you know, there's going to be a time when small caps, uh, especially coming out of recessions, I think small caps tend to do really well. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't even hit the recession yet. So the question is, Are you know, we the question a is, 
what do you <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we all exactly. have to know what everyone thinks about this. Um, so the only thing you can do is have that allocation there. You know, we do have some smaller, uh, smaller cap names uh, in the portfolio that are analysts like a lot and want to hold for a, uh, for a while. And we think it's a great opportunity uh, with those small cap names to potentially get, you know, compounders that can that can go three, five, ten X. Right. Uh, if you hold them for long enough. So, uh, you know, so, you, you know, I think the answer to your question is it's always a great time. You just have to be diversified and, you know, have your allocation set and not overthink it. Charlie, with bigger companies, sometimes, and depending on the sector, come dividends. Is is income a focus one way or the other, or is it is it in the background? So, look, I, I think we don't look necessarily for companies to provide a, you know, a, a high dividend yield, but it does come back to dividends are one component of a capital allocation policy. And you know, when we talk about wanting to invest in companies managed by terrific managers. One of the ways we gauge uh, the effectiveness of a management team is looking at their track record from deploying capital. And I think all of us would agree that if a, um, a management team sees an opportunity to reinvest in their, business, in their business and generate outsized returns, I would much rather see that company, that management team, go ahead and make that investment because that's ultimately going to drive much more value for the shareholders. However, um, if I see a company where, you know, perhaps it's in more of a mature industry and they don't see, um, you know, great opportunities for reinvestment at attractive returns, well, then I'm going to say I'd much rather uh, see that management team return capital uh, to the shareholders in the form of both dividends and stock buybacks. Right. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Mike, put the final word to you. Anything you just want investors to kind of keep top of mind, thinking about this fund, thinking about the way the strategy is set up, the way it's being managed, what would you want to leave investors with? Yeah, for this, you know, like I said, it's, it's right in the name long term, right? And, um, you know, we're not going to be chasing the next hottest thing. Uh, we're not going to be, you know, chasing wherever the market is is right now. Um, it's that old, uh, Wayne Gretzky quote, right? You know, go to where the puck is going to be, not, not where it is or not where it's been. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's kind of what we're trying to do with, with this fund. You know, uh, we, we, you know, it was a tough year for, for growth stories last year, but, you know, we're sticking with it. And I, I think that over the long haul, uh, you know, you'd be very happy to own a lot of these companies. Charlie Hebbard and Mike Kim, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. Thanks, Pamela. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.